0: This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street Clip-On Handlebars, premium race-spec clip-ons developed by some of the world's fastest riders. Welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. It's race week, if you hadn't noticed by the numerous repetitive social media posts. My name's Adam Wheeler, and I'm joined by David Emmett and Neil Morrison, and hopefully at some point on this podcast, we're going to be speaking to britain britain's favorite we could say for the moto three class scott ogden uh we're hoping he's going to join us and tell us a little bit about his season also what it's like to race around silverstone and cope with some home gp pressure uh guys first of all we're all in the uk um are we keeping dry are we keeping happy are we keeping motivated
1: i think we're all in our mum's houses as
0: well <laughs> well I, I didn't want to mention that dave you know just for the uh, the cool factor but now uh, that's completely gone <laughs>
1: Listen, mate, I'm going to be 59 later this year, so uh, the cool factor is that uh, it disappeared a number of decades ago.
0: Neil, you have uh, by easily the coolest mum, probably, of all of us. So how is um, Susan, and um, have you been to see any Irish road racing since you've been back home?
2: Funny you should say this. that, Ad. Uh, I have. Uh, on Saturday, I went to the Armoy Road Races, which I think was my first road race in about five years, rather, disappointingly. Um, And uh, within about 10 minutes of being there, I was feeling a bit sheepish about complaining about the excessive heat in Barcelona over recent weeks because we were standing in the field getting blown around, rained on. And um, yeah, it was looking a bit grim at one point, but it did brighten up for about two hours. And we got to see some pretty good dry racing. Um, but then the rain came again pretty quickly in the mid-afternoon. And, uh, yeah, we had to uh, climb through a bit of a bog uh, to get back to our car. So, um, yeah, we had the uh, the quintessential road racing experience, I feel. We saw Dunlop win. So, yeah.
0: It wouldn't be an Irish road race without a bog in there somewhere. Um, you know, we can speak about motocross as well. Was that the one where Dunlop also pulled up outside the pub to celebrate a, a victory?
2: It was a pretty good celebration, you have to say. Yeah, he parked his bike up outside a pub in the middle of Armoy. And uh, yeah, I think the uh, the uh, the regulars inside were slightly um, bedazzled to see a fully leathered up and helmeted man uh, enter into the uh, the bar and demand a pint of their strongest. So yeah, I would say uh, Rossi's, um, Rossi's port-a-loo celebration at Jerez in '99 has uh, some competition now for one of the best celebrations ever.
0: Yeah, you'd hope he didn't stop for something to drink in the port that's for sure. Uh, Dave, you know, usually when it comes to your race predictions, you're way off. But um, what is your nose for the weather, say, for this weekend? Because we are in the first weekend of August. Um, It's a slightly earlier date than, you know, traditionally for the British Grand Prix. Uh, Are we hopeful of some sunshine? I mean, or should we be afraid? I believe there was actually a car race called off at Silverstone last weekend because of excessive water on the track again.
1: Uh, yeah I mean I think that is that is slightly worrying I mean that a uh, problem should have been fixed with the resurfacing uh, but I think the rain was just so heavy that it was um, uh, it, it became very too, just too difficult there was too much spray Um The weather is not looking fantastic. Uh, It seems like basically because that massive heat wave in Barcelona we were talking about, that massive heat wave all across sort of Southern Europe and uh, North Africa seems to have sucked all of the heat out of the northern part of Europe um, and dragged all of the water from the uh, North Pole to dump it on us. So it's not looking like it's going to be fantastic weather. I, it, it'll be, it'll, as far as I can see at the moment, it looks like Friday and Saturday is going to be sort of a bit iffy, uh, a little bit. Um, it'll be sort of, you know, half and half. No one is going to get through, through their full allotment of slicks. Um and it looks, right now, the weather forecast I've just seen, it looks like it's going to be very wet on Sunday, so um it's just not terrific and <clears throat> I blame the wing because we are once again in the uh, Silverstone wing so we're back in the F1 part of the calendar the last time we did that we had absolutely torrential rain um it was the first uh, MotoGP GP race that I managed to get passes for my parents uh, for and they uh, were extremely bedraggled afterwards and uh, quite miserable and then the next year I said oh um I'm uh, coming over for Silverstone do you want me to try and get you passed and they said you know what i'm all right we're fine we can uh, we can do without it so i'm hoping uh, that it's not as bad as it was back in I th- was it 2012 i think that we were in the wing i can't remember if it's 12 or 13 um but uh yes i'm hoping it'll be a little bit better than that but it's not looking fantastic
0: well we shouldn't really complain too much because in silverstone you're either in a makeshift kind of press room or you're in the bunker as we like to call it just by in the inside of woodcoat which, when Which it does ace. rain, is in danger of flooding. I know you love it, Dave, but um, it is quite rudimentary for most people. Uh, you no, I'm, do have I'm a very
1: rudimentary a... sort of a person, uh, Adam. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we, we are in the same month as the the Austrian Grand Prix, where we have the best press room of the championship. So, um, it, it, yeah, the, the contrast is quite stark. But, yeah, if you're in the wing, then I guess we're going to be upgraded facilities, and that's not to be sniffed at. But, uh, guys, it feels like it's been like a five-week summer break, as we know. We should have been at Kazakhstan. Uh, the race was cancelled. Uh, It feels like the last Grand Prix was a long time ago. And Dorna have done a a fantastic job upgrading MotoGP.com. I mean, the website has a brand new facelift. It looks very good, but it's somewhat hollow at the moment. The statistics are missing for, you know, um, previous results. So we're struggling a little bit to have a refresh of of what happened in the first half of the season.
1: Uh, Well, yes, it was um, uh, very much a, uh, uh, well... Yes, it does look very good. it's very much a, uh, a what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a facelift in the fact that they've uh, changed the face, but uh, what's behind it is still um, uh, seems to be it seems to have gone completely missing. so um, it is a shame fortunately, I've got a, about 12 trillion PDFs saved on my uh, uh, saved on my laptop. so I've been going through uh, looking at those to, to try to remember uh, what happened and when. so uh, we shall we shall have to see.
0: Neil, when it comes to talking about previous results, uh, let's just have a quick recap. Silverstone last year, Peko Bagnaia came into the race, you know, substantially far behind Fabio Quattara then. And, you know, goodness me, it seems such a long time to think that Quattara was leading the world championship. And, you know, he came into the race on, let's say, a controversial wave of attention um, after sort of the Ibiza drink drive incident. I believe it was in Alberta and then um you know proceeded to sort of impress everybody with um some shrewd decisions and a fantastic performance that he that showed he hadn't been under any sort of pressure at all when it comes to aspects of his personal life and it really was the start of the, of the push towards the championship wasn't it
2: yeah, it was. Yeah, we had a really a really good British Grand Prix last year. We had a pretty meager attendance of 41,000, I think was the official number that we got we were there on Sunday, which is pretty low by um, you know, previous uh, British Grand Prix standards at Silverstone. But we had I think the second closest top 10 in history at the time. I think 5.3 seconds covered the top 10 riders. We had the fifth closest top 15 uh last year's race at the time. So, it was uh, it was pretty tight and pretty dramatic at the uh, at the front. I think we could see last year that Aprilia's was definitely the uh, the strongest bike at Silverstone. Um, Maverick Vignales getting his best result a second place. Probably should have won it, actually. Had a fantastic sort of fight back through the field. But, um, yeah, Banyaya managed, I think it was one of his more impressive rides last year. He definitely wasn't the fastest guy. I think he had something like the 13th fastest lap of all the riders in the race, but he was just so, so consistent. And uh, Ducati played a bit of a blinder with their tyre selection. I think that um, they... Uh, chose a tyre that no one had really been thinking would be, uh, would be worthwhile, the harder compound rear the, the Ducatis were pretty inspired to get that
0: so one of the big talking points, I think, coming into this Grand Prix, Dave, over to you. Uh, tire pressure uh, and the management and the measurement of, uh, I wish there was a way perhaps we could measure the hot air of the Paddock Pass podcast, but they're certainly going to be looking at the, um, you know, the the amount of the substance inside the the tires come Silverstone. Is this something that's going to be worrying a lot of team and riders, uh, or is it something they've been preparing for? What's your, what's your thoughts?
1: I mean, it's something they've been prepared for. What's interesting is... Uh, first of all, um, it's uh, an interim measure. Normally, any technical infraction. So basically, you know, break if you break the technical rules, you get disqualified. It's as simple as that. Uh, so if your bike is underweight, or uh, you're found to have had too much pressure, or uh, whatever, you've got illegal pass on your bike, you, t- you tend to get disqualified. Um, that won't be the case uh, in this case. What they will do is for your first offence, if you are uh, basically um, less than half of the race under pressure, um, uh, under the minimum pressure, or uh, sorry, more than half the race under the minimum pressure, then you will, the first time you get a a warning, the second time you get a three-second penalty... Third time a six-second penalty, and the and uh, the fourth time a twelve-second penalty. So it does become more and more expensive uh, to actually uh, to actually do it. Um, are teams going to be worried? Yes, they are going to be a little bit worried. But a lot of the teams have been. I mean, they've all been working on this, um, uh, trying to get it right. Um, certainly, what we what you hear when people talk off the record. Um, is that the Japanese factories in particular uh, get very annoyed, bec- or the the team members of Japanese factories get very annoyed because they're used to doing things the Amer- the, the European way, which is to. Um, uh, you know, comply with the uh, letter of the rules rather than the spirit of the rules, um, and so they've been much uh, they've been much better about actually running the minimum temperature, the minimum pressures uh, uh, allowed. The European factories have been, uh, you know, trying to cut it as as closely as possible. And as Matt Oxley wrote oh, a year ago, last year at uh, after Chireth, there were so many teams and riders who were well below the uh, the the pressure that. There were some who you know, just never even made the pressure. The difficult thing is um, you have to sort of figure out for at the start of the race or you have to take a gamble on whether you're going to get stuck in a group or whether you're going to be able to have uh, clean air because that's going to change the amount of pressure that you can put in the tyre. If you get stuck in a group, then uh, the tyre temperatures are going to go up, um, the pressure is going to go up, and you're going to suffer. Um, If you can get away from the start... Um I mean if you get away, lead into the first corner and lead the entire race, then you'll have cool air on your front tire all, all race long. So that's going to be very that's going to be very different. Um it, it, it's it's a different sort of um uh, assessment. And it also seems like there are some tires I mean like KTM have done really well in being able to run a softer front tire this year than they did last year. And that also is a sign that they're much better at managing the front uh, the, the the front tire pressures. Um, they they don't stress the front as much. They found a way to ride the bike without putting so, without loading the front so much. The Ducatis don't load the front as much. Uh, the Yamaha, which is very much a you know a it, it it's a corner speed tire, which uh, bike, which means you've got all of the load on the front, um, and that which just puts more and more stress and put more load into the tire. Uh, and that raises pressure, raises temperatures. Um The Honda is similar, you know, they're trying to do everything on the front tire and you can't do that with these, uh, with these tires. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to have an effect. It's going to be, it's quite difficult to predict exactly what kind of effect. I, I, I'm, I am don't know whether anyone's going to get caught. It's going to be interesting to see if anyone actually does get caught. Um, I, I think it will be instructive if someone does. We'll it certainly learn a lot and I think it'll have a big difference. Also, the penalties seem like they are sufficient to actually uh, deter people. Uh, not so much the first time, but the second time, you know, losing three seconds is a lot. Three se- As we were saying, you know... Uh, More than a long lap
0: in some cases.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is it's basically it is basically a long lap or it's a double long lap if you um, uh, if you get caught the third time. So it does become extremely it, it does become extremely difficult.
0: Now, is this going to be something that's like a parameter of the rule books that's here to stay or do you think it's just a a factor that's coming into play until Michelin come up with their new front tire for 2025?
2: Yeah, well, I think that's the, that's probably going to be the, 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 major plan for Michelin with their, their front tire that they're going to be testing quite, quite a lot in 2024 and then introducing in 2025. I mean, that I think is probably the, the main thing that they'll be looking for to make sure that, um, the tire pressure, or the front tire pressure isn't such a big, um, factor in, in racing anymore. Um, I mean, it does, when you, when you sort of think about it, you think of all the, the millions that the, uh, the factories pour, pour into their, the MotoGP projects. All the kind of um, artistry and ingenuity that um, that is involved in a MotoGP machine, and, and and a lot of the time, the result is determined by um, the tire pressure uh, of the, uh, the the front tire, which just doesn't really make sense and doesn't... I don't think it's a, it's a good look for the championship and the fact that this has been an issue for the last couple of years. Um, it's it's not been great for Michelin because it's something that everyone has been talking about. So, yeah, you would imagine, or you would certainly hope that with Michelin's 2025 front tire, um, that this will not be an issue anymore um, or it shouldn't be as much of an issue. So, um, yeah, perhaps it's only a, a, a mildly temporary
1: um, thing. Well, I can say that anything that goes into the rule book never comes out again. So, um, the, uh, the I mean, the penalty will go in from next year. The, it will be a disqualification area if you are below the, um, uh, the minimum tire pressure for too long. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that, I think that's going to be staying in there for a long time. Talking
0: about other subjects connected with Silverstone, uh, we should see a, a pretty healthy grid. Uh, you know, of course, we're missing Alex Rins due to that double right leg break, um, from Mugello. Was it from Mugello? I can't even remember yes, now. Yes, it was, it was Mugello. It was. Okay, but we welcome Paolo Spargaro. He's still got to pass a late fitness test, I think on the Thursday at Silverstone. You'd assume that he'd pass that. I mean, I don't think there's been any any other issues on his uh, back fractures. And then, of course, we have Juan Mi. I think confirmed to return to the saddle of the Repsol Honda um, with however much enthusiasm remains to be seen. <laughs> but, and of course, Mark Marquez as well. So, I mean, Repsol Honda in a, a full lineup. And, you know, I wonder, Dave, When you wander down to pit lane on Friday morning, whether there will be anything remotely new or some sort of remedy, some sort of solution to help a couple of the manufacturers find a new vein of competitiveness.
1: I mean what we do know is that both Yamaha and Honda have been doing a lot of testing over the summer so you would expect um there to certainly Yamaha to to be bringing new parts uh, Honda as well Stefan Bradl I think has had three tests during the summer break and um uh, I I can't remember if he's off to uh, uh, off to Suzuka or not but anyway yeah he's had such a busy uh, he's had such a busy see, uh, uh, offseason or summer break um I do expect there to be new parts. Uh, I don't expect there to be anything radical. I think what we might see are bits which are not not quite so obvious. Um uh, you'd expect Honda to have another frame to uh, to be able to throw uh, throw at it. You'd expect them also to have a lot more electronics to uh, to be testing. Um, but, you know, there 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 will definitely be updates. I think for uh, it's going to be interesting to see what KTM, Aprilia, and Ducati do because their bikes are such that they're in such a good state of tune. That you, the risk of messing up is much bigger than the risk of actually improving. Um, you can, you don't want to change something which is already successful, especially. With Pekka Baniaya uh, involved in a championship challenge. He's looking very strong. You, you know, I, I think they're going to be more conservative uh, uh, about bringing updates, but you know, Gigi's always got something going on. I shall certainly be wandering down to have a look at Joan Zarco's bike to see if he's been given anything um, uh, interesting to play with. Um, and again, Aprilia, I think it's going to be interesting to see what Aprilia have, uh, have been working on.
0: Speaking of the Italians, uh, Neil is looking more and more. Likely that Franco Morbidelli is moving out of the Yamaha team if we are to believe what we're hearing about silly season, um, and going to be riding a Desmos Desmosedici next year. Uh, when it comes to the rest of Yamaha, Alex Rins um, going to be blue next to Fabio Quasaro next year. Uh, of course, we're going to wait to see if we have any kind of confirmation of these movements. But do you reckon something could come at Silverstone? You'd have to imagine that Ducati would perhaps hang on till maybe Misano just to to formalize these things but then it does depend on the contract lengths and while we're on the subject um if you're listening to this guys go and look at dave's website com, because there was a fantastic story on the on the whole city season shake-up so far
2: yeah mm. uh, it's tough to know ad um yeah normally things um well it, sometimes things with um Announcements can be dependent on on where the, the the manufacturer's home race is or where the team's home race is. So KTM tend to uh, make a lot of decisions uh, around the Red Bull Ring when their top bosses uh, have a few glasses of uh, white wine on the Saturday <laughs> evening. Um, some things with uh, with VR Forty Six or with Ducati can be saved until um, until Misano. Um, so yeah Silverstone might be a little bit early for some of these announcements but um, yeah you're absolutely right it does seem that Alex Rins will be moving across to Yamaha to be Fabio Quartararo's teammate next year um, and then there's a bit of a bit of I guess Franco Morbidelli is, is a favorite to, to slot into the the VR46 Ducati team as well um, still some doubts though I think about the LCR Honda seat um, next year
1: um from what we're hearing from the the superbike paddock it looks like it's going to be Kuala, and the reason it would be is because he's the only person who actually wants to ride the thing which tells you an awful lot about the predicament which honda find themselves in it's very very difficult for them to find you know riders to find anyone actually willing to have a go on the bike um it it's it, it's it's quite dispiriting really to see how far Honda has fallen. That they that they are having to scrabble around to ask people to ride the bike, whereas before there would have been a line sort of out the door and all the way around the back of the paddock for people to to jump on it. Now the risk of jumping on the paddock is just is bigger than um than than you know passing up on it.
2: Yeah, and one of the reasons why Iker is so keen to jump on the MotoGP bike is because his Honda and World Superbike is uh, (laughs) such a pig.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so it's not much of a, it's out of the frying pan and into the fire.
0: It's not such a bad bike in MXGP. So if all else fails, there is a reasonably good Honda somewhere. And I think the Dakar bike is also pretty quick. But, um, you know, don't, don't hold me to that. Anyway, speaking of Honda riders and willingness, we have got a, a good interview here, a Rental Street session um, with Scott Ogden, of course, a British Grand Prix. It's been great to speak to a, a British rider. Right after this ad break, we're going to go straight into the interview. And um, yeah, stay with us for that one. Renthal Fat Bars are synonymous with off-road world champions. The Renthal Street Fat Bar draws from decades of experience to create the ultimate 28 millimeter handlebar in a range of street specific bends. Whether you're looking to alter the height, width, rise, or sweep of your handlebar, Renthal Street handlebars offer a bend to suit your requirements. Use the Works Fit handlebar comparison tool at
3: Renthal.com to find the perfect bend.
0: Scott, great to have you with us. Uh, first of all, tell us about 2023 in a nutshell for you.
3: Um, it's it's been an up and down year. It started very good, to be honest. I I did a good test and both tests, to be fair, like the unofficial test, isn't really important but it was nice to nice to top it and then even going to the the official test where the guys start to put tires in start to have the bikes that they run in in the in the season I, I also felt strong I was top 5 most of the way through but yeah the season itself like from the race have been a little bit up and down I felt like the first race I put a lot of pressure on because being so fast in testing it's like you've got to be there you've got to be there every weekend you I want to fight at the front every weekend so I put a bit too much pressure on myself at the at the start and yeah, I sort of went into the, the next three races after that as sort of like a, a rebuild, just finish and, and take points hopefully. But the main the main goal was finishing because from last season also I think it was about five or six DNFs in a row. So yeah, it was it was just trying to finish and yeah, the last three races have been quite a big step. I, I feel like riding wise I've made a big step, but the results haven't shown it. In Mugello was good, but we had the long straight and the KTM was a little bit stronger. And then and then uh, in, in uh, Saxon Ring, I sort of had two big crashes. I was not 100% with it after, for the race and struggled a bit in the race. And then I went to Assen where the Hondas doesn't really go very well, but I felt like I rode a good weekend. And yeah, sadly, we had a mechanical and, and I made a mistake on the, the second lap. So yeah it, was, it wasn't the results i wanted to but overall my riding seems to be better it, it seems to be every track we're, we're making a step from last year about maybe half a second faster but at the same time everyone's making a step so yeah i'm happy with how we're riding and how the team is is in, improving but the results definitely aren't where i want to be and hopefully we've got 12 races to improve that
0: when you say you've made progress with your riding, what, what does that mean exactly? Is it just handling yourself in the pack or, you know, just the way to, to attack the lap time? What, what do you mean?
3: Um, the overall lap time itself has is, is definitely improved. I think I've just, a year on, I just sort of understand, okay, this is where you have to push with a new tyre. This is where you have to manage. And I think overall, I'm, I'm a smarter rider now. And I sort of know when to make the lap time instead of like every lap trying to go crazy even if there's not the right track position whereas now I can manage that and yeah just overall just I'm finding those few temps at every track which is nice because if if you're not we're not getting the results but if I was also slower than I was last year even it would be a lot worse so yeah I'm just trying to every race try improve and I feel like riding wise I'm getting a little bit better there's there's places where like on the brakes and still need to improve and hopefully I can make the step after training hard on that in the summer and yeah, hopefully just keep moving forward.
2: Scott, I know riders don't want to give excuses, but it's pretty clear in Model 3 at the moment that the KTM package is probably the package to be on. Can you talk about just how difficult it is being on a Honda, how how difficult it is to to fight among them because uh it's quite difficult to run your normal lines when you're in the midst of a, a pack with KTMs, right?
3: Yeah, I, I feel like when it's if everyone did one lap full gas no one around each other i don't think the, the honda's that bad I, I feel quite confident with the chassis okay maybe the acceleration isn't so good but then we go to tracks like silverstone and and magella where acceleration isn't so important so i don't feel like the honda itself is worse but in the race it's very difficult because the ktm does have that little bit of acceleration and then it's a little bit better on the brakes. So it's, it's quite difficult to be able to overtake anywhere, which when it's a big group, if you're not overtaking someone, you seem just to get overtaken just because that's how Moto3 goes. So yeah, it's sort of like a spiral down. And I feel like if the group's small, I can stay at the back of the group. But if the group's quite big, and especially on the first few laps, it's, it's very difficult to hold the position. So yeah, I feel, okay, there's a couple of guys now coming a little bit stronger. There's Mazia's okay, he's been there for seven years. He's on. A bike that's a little bit different to the rest, and he's making it work. But now also, Fanati seems to be up there in the races, and he's also being able to to manage the disadvantage the Honda has. So yeah, it's it's definitely a disadvantage, but if you're able to manage it and understand it, then you're still able to fight for top fives and top ten. So yeah, I just need to be a little bit smarter, maybe try adapt my riding style to to focus on. Riding in in big groups instead of just doing the the fast and flowing lines that I like to do.
1: I mean, previously you were in the CEV and in the in the Junior World Championship, and like it always seems to me one of the biggest steps is or one of the biggest differences is. Um, uh, in the junior world championship, there's a few good riders who ride each, you know, they, who, who fight each other really, really hard. But you come to 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 the world championship, and there are so many good riders, and you do end up in these massive groups um, that it becomes quite difficult to sort of, you know, just cope because you could be a, a few hundredths off, or a few, ten, or or a couple of tenths off, and and you're a long way back.
3: Yeah, it's it's uh, like in junior world championship the the like outright like. La- Lap time is is very similar to to the motor three, but the way they do it for the whole race and even on the last laps is is a big difference to the Junior World Championship. And like you said, there's so many guys. I think everyone in in World Championship and more or less won a Junior World Championship race. So it's just you take the best three each year from the Junior World Championship and put them in the World Championship. So yeah, the level is definitely higher. There's there's a lot of guys that have the level and. Every weekend, I'm sure there's maybe 10, 15 guys that think, okay, I can be in the front group, I can fight for the podium. So, yeah, the the motivation for everyone is a lot higher and it's a lot more hard-fought races. It's not it's not like Junior World Championship where you have two laps full gas, you break for 25 minutes and then you have two laps full gas. It's Every lap is full gas on the limit because especially now where 3 is changing a little bit where people can do the lap time alone it sort of makes the races a lot faster so it is yeah it's definitely a big step and I, I feel like the last two years of people coming up and also people hitting peak form like Sasaki and Onku is yeah they're, they're getting a lot better and it's getting a lot harder.
1: That uh, doing the lap time on your own because I know whenever I talk to sort of team managers and and and, t- and crew chiefs, they'll say that it's really important that you can also do the lap time on your own. Uh, but you also have to understand how to sort of like fit that into uh, into a group sort of thing. Um, how do you work on doing the lap on your own, or are you always focused on being in a group?
3: Um, this year, I've definitely tried to do more laps alone in in the start of the season. I sort of, the tests, uh, I did every lap alone. And then I went to the, the first race and it was like, oh, I've got to follow. I've got to try just do one the lap times. Because if you do work alone, especially with the package we have, we're not where you want to be. So like the results may be 15 and in the end it's better, but 15 to the people at home, when I look at the timesheets, you're not sort of on TV at all and it's like, oh, it doesn't look good. So you sort of get into a spiral where you just want to do one lap time from the word go, FP1 to qualifying, you just want to do one lap time just to look good instead of actually working on the race. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I feel like for the future and for developing yourself, working alone is a lot better. But then also, if you haven't had a result yet and you're looking for a ride in... in for the year after it's like I've just got to go do one lap and just try to show everyone what I can do but yeah I think if you have that little bit of extra confidence especially like Ortola, Moreira, they're starting to not do the lap time in practice and come through Q1 and then qualify still quite good and race very good so yeah I think it's one of those things where if you've got the confidence to do it it's definitely the better thing but it's just believing in yourself that okay it's going to pay off even if it doesn't look good at the first two two practices it will pay off
2: Scott, you were talking a little bit about it being an up and down season so far. Are there times where you have to almost remind yourself that not only you are in your second year in World Championship, but the team is still I mean, it's still a very inexperienced team when you compare it to the likes of Io or Leopard the top guys that you're sometimes battling with in the class. Um, is that something that you have to remind yourself of occasionally?
3: Yeah, definitely. I feel like I'm quite hard on myself. I don't especially now where kids I did race in the junior world championship and I felt like, well, two of my teammates or three of my teammates are now all fighting at the front of the World Championship and that's quite a hard one to take because it's like two years ago I was looking at the data, they weren't far away and it it is really difficult because last year the guys at the front, I didn't really know, I I hadn't raced against for a few years or I hadn't raced against at all and I had that respect for them whereas now it's guys where I know I can beat and it's hard to think, okay, I'm in my second year, the team's in the second year, I I just need to be calm and I know it'll eventually come, but it is quite a hard, hard thing to do, you have to have really a lot of confidence in yourself to think like that because it's quite a lot of doubt when people that you know you can beat are at the front and you're still, I wouldn't say I'm getting stuck where I am because there's moments where I do show that I can be top five, top six in certain sessions, but yeah, it's one of those things where I do want to look and think, OK, where we are, we're doing what the best we can with what we have. But then at the same time, I just want to be at the front. Even if it's my second year, the team's second year, I still believe there is chances and opportunities to be able to fight at the front.
0: Is it also hard to keep patient because if you see the likes of we see more riders having instant impact from Acosta to Rera to Jogado, um guys sort of popping straight into Moto three and and you know making a name for themselves. So do you also have to sort of, you know, is there that pressure to do something, but also you know try and keep scope of what's going on yourself?
1: Yeah, it's
3: very difficult. Like I'm one of those people that wants to be first in every minute of every session and. I've never had patience Uh, with anything I do. It's always like I've got to be the best every minute, every day. Even when I'm racing, like my friends and family on push bikes and stuff, I still want to win. And it's very hard for me to have the mentality like this is a work in progress. We've just got to take time. You've just got to build. It's not like, well, okay, it's a bit of a stereotype, but Brits usually take four or five years sam maybe a bit less but jake now is after four or five years is coming good and cal also he okay jumped into the premier class but still a few years so yeah it's one of those things like it will take time and i'm not a rider that's going to be two years and winning a world championship but maybe i'll never win a motor three world championship but maybe in motor two will be the time i get the chance to show what i can really do and yeah, it's just one of those things where I've just gotta believe that it's a four year project for myself or three year project instead of a two year project or in a case a one year project. You just everyone develops at a different rate and you just gotta hope the people around you give you that time to develop because it is a very cutthroat sport where not every team want to give you time to develop, they just want the results and yeah, I feel like I have that support around me.
2: Scott, just picking up on one of the the, the things that you said there. Um, obviously, uh, as a Brit, the challenges coming into the Model 3 World Championship are slightly different to the challenges facing maybe an Italian or a Spanish rider. I was wondering if you could just maybe talk about some of the challenges you faced along the way of coming from the UK. Um, I know you're over in Spain at the moment, you live over there during the year. Um, you know, some of the challenges that you, your family have faced, sacrifices that you've had to make along the way to to get where you are now.
3: Yeah, it's it's a weird one. Like, I, I look at it in, in two. Uh, uh like two ways because if i was spanish i probably wouldn't be in motor 3 right now there's a lot better spanish guys than than me and who don't get the the opportunity or had better results i mean the junior classes that don't get the opportunity so i can look at it in that way or i can look at it in the way of okay i'm british i haven't had the same upbringing as the rest of them and i'd i'd need that more more time so yeah, it's, it's it's it depends how you look at it. I think a lot of people see me as a privileged rider because I have been given an opportunity by Dawn or by Michael. And then if you're on the British side looking in, it's like, OK, the Spanish guys have been doing these junior classes for maybe 10 years now. They've ridden these tracks for 10 years and they've developed a little bit faster. So, yeah, it's a lot of sacrifice for me coming over to Spain, and leaving my family behind and and moving here is, is quite a big thing for, for me. And yeah, my, my dad and my parents and my mum sacrificed a lot with my dad having to have a year out of work just so he could provide me in Spain with training bikes and being able to take me to the places. So yeah, it's a lot of sacrifice, but at the same time, I, I feel privileged to be where I am. Being one of the few British riders to be in the, the MotoGP paddock, is yeah, it, it's an honour for me
1: it's also quite a lot of pressure and so much of uh, especially life in the Grand Prix paddock is um, about that sort of mental strength to to cope with that and like you say living without your family living in a strange country uh, somewhere where you haven't sort of like grown up it's um, uh, it is much difficult so how do you cope with that mental side of uh, of the race and that kind of um, that kind of pressure
3: yeah it's one where I feel like on the outside, look people looking in I, I cope quite well because I, I don't really show this year I've tried to level my emotions a little bit, but then at the same time it's been very difficult to cope on the inside. I've it's one of those sports where you're only as good as your last weekend, so and I had a really bad weekend before the summer break. So it's been like five weeks thinking about, oh okay, am I that good or am I this good or and it's like every day I just every time I ride a motorbike, even if it's on a valley which goes fifty mile an hour, I still try to prove myself, okay, you can still ride a motorbike, you're still good. And it's just trying to it's it's one of those sports where I think no one deals with the pressure very well. Okay, when you win five, six four championships, you get used to it. But I think it's what it is very difficult to deal with it. And yeah, I think for me this this weekend coming up is the hardest weekend with the pressure just because it's a track that I love, it could be wet, which like I hope I hope it is, and then at the same time, I hope it isn't, because if I go in the dry, then a top 10 would be amazing, whereas if I go in the wet, then it's like, you've got to be on the podium, otherwise it's a bad weekend, because I'm known to be good in the wet, British riders have won there in the wet before, so yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I feel like I'm getting better over, over the time with pressure, but then at the same time, it's still all the doubts in your head, and I don't feel the pressure from the outside really, but only from myself because I really want to succeed and I really want to make a living out of, out of motor racing at the top level, not just at a, le- a lower level. So, yeah, it's, it's difficult, but I think everyone deals with it in different ways. I haven't quite found the best way to deal with it other than just try to take one day at a time, one session at a time and just do the best you can at every moment.
1: But the, the good news is that my weather forecast app says there's going to be thirteen millimeters of rain on uh, on Sunday, so uh, you should have dry practice and, uh, and a wet Sunday.
3: Yeah, well, hopefully it's a, it's a special special day.
0: Scott, this is the Silverstone Preview. Um, you spoke a little bit about the track. I mean, first of all, tell us a memory about the British Grand Prix for you. I mean, something that sticks in your mind as something very that's very distinctive about this particular race. And also um, a little bit about the track. I mean, is it like the biggest kind of Rubik's Cube in, in MotoGP in terms of putting it all together?
3: Yeah, it's it's a weird one. It's like it's the hardest track, but then at the same time, it's the easiest track because like Motor Three is so close, and it's I feel like it's the track where riders are the closest because there is so many corners that on Motor Three is so easy to take full throttle. Also, like if the only difference is the bike when you're a hundred percent gas. So yeah, it's one of those tracks where you've got to be smart. You can't rush into the corners. You have got to try focus on the exits and piece each corner together and. But then at the same time, I feel like in Moto3, it's it's very close here. It's not, it's very hard to make a tenth on anyone here. So, yeah, it's, it's the hardest track, but then at the same time, it's the easiest track. And then, yeah, memory-wise, for me personally, memories of myself, I won the British Talent Cup there in 2019, which, well, yeah, was a changing point in my career. It was like a weekend of two halves. My bike broke in the first race, and then in the second race, I was able to, to take the championship and yeah from then i was able to move on and be supported by dawn definitely got me to where i am today and yeah memories that i have of other people i think i'm trying to remember the year maybe was 2013 i think was my first ever motor gp race and scott redding had a a custom livery on the mark bds i was there on the saturday and i remember yeah i remember that 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 livery, maybe 2012 or 2013,
1: but yeah, that, that's a memory for me. Speaking of Silverstone, obviously um, last year we were starting um, in the old pits uh, on, uh, what is it, Woodcott. Um, now we're going to be over in the wing. We're going to be starting just at the club, sort of going into Abbey it's completely, it, it it changes. Does it change anything for you as as a rider, the way you plot your lap, or is it just, you know, the same circuit?
3: Qualify well, it well. Every session up to the race, it's the same circuit. There's no, for me, it's no difference. But then in the race, it's a completely different circuit because turn, well, not turn one, but turn three on first lap, will I feel will be carnage because normally you have Silverstone, it, for me it feels like okay, it's one of the easiest places. You're not the first lap is a little bit less hectic because you have turn a short uh, run to turn one, so you can't lose too many places and then through maggots and beckets it sort of stretches out a little bit and then you have a straight and then you have a corner at a stow which isn't really hard breaking. It's quite fast on a motor three. So it was like, okay, I can relax a little bit, I might gain two places, I might lose a place. It's not crazy whereas now it, going into the two hairpins on the first lap I, I feel like if, if you have for example Onku or someone at, or someone with a little bit of that mentality Munoz at the back then they'll try and make 10-15 places because it's one of those corners where you can make places but it's very, very sketchy so yeah it's a little bit more of a scary first few corners I feel and then also at the end now you have a better overtaking spot I feel like the, the chicane is a little bit better than Brooklyn's and then you can't really gain any places in the last two corners of the old circuit. So, yeah, I feel like it changes a little bit because the last lap and the first lap is a lot more, okay, you got to protect the line going here, you got to protect the line here. So, yeah, dynamic, it's it's a little bit different, but lap time-wise, it's the same.
2: Scott, just a final couple of questions. Um you mentioned your, your best memories from Silverstone. I think one of them also would have to be last year's Motor 3 race. You were twelfth, but just two seconds off the victor. And I think if I'm not wrong, that's the closest you've ever been to the the race victor at the end of the at the end of the race. Um, it was a really strong performance and thinking back to then must give you a lot of confidence going into this weekend.
3: Yeah, for me it's it's one of my favourite tracks. I, I sort of remember in twenty nineteen when I was there with the British Tank Cup. I sort of did a first sector on the British Talent Cup that wasn't the slowest in Moto3 which was like, oh, uh, through Maggots and Beckets which I was really happy about and then um, last year I, I felt like I could have done a lot better. I sort of let the stress and pressure get to me I sort of let my well, I showed every emotion possible I think on every TV camera so yeah, it was an interesting weekend for me but the race definitely changed that and I was able to do a good race so Yeah, I'll just be trying to focus on keeping the emotions level. I know if everything goes right, especially in the rain, I can maybe get a a result that is special because, okay, I'm good in the rain and I'm quite good there in the dry. So, yeah, I've just got to stay level throughout the weekend and know that in the race I can come from, Okay, I don't want to be 24th like last year, but I can come from 12th, 10th and and be able to fight for the, the front positions.
2: And just finally, Scott. Um, I, I know at the start of the season, you and and the uh, the Vision Track team were saying that the aim for the season was to be consistently fighting for top ten finishes. Maybe um, on occasion there might be a, an opportunity to finish on the, in the top six or on the podium. Still, twelve races to go. Uh, have those aims changed somewhat, or are you still is that still what you've got in mind?
3: Um, for me, if I can get top fifteen in the championship, that would be really good. I think I'm sixteenth at the moment, so. Well, more or less where I want to be. Okay, I think at the start of the year, it was quite easy to say, okay, we can be top 10, we can be top five. But when KTM brought their new engines at the start of the year, okay, the the way we looked at the season changed. So I don't think top five is possible on a weekend-to-weekend basis. But for sure, at certain races, I can be in the top five. I, I have tracked where my riding style suits are really a lot. So, yeah, I think when we go to the fast flowing tracks, I can be there or thereabouts, and then at other tracks like Austria, I've just got to try and manage, manage a, maybe a point or two. It changes from weekend to weekend just because of how our bike works at different tracks.
1: I've got a stress-free question for you. Um, a podium prediction for the MotoGP race at Silverstein. You Who's know, going to be first, second, or third?
3: Oh, it's, it's quite a difficult one. Um, because of the weather forecast, it's gonna be wet. I think. Oh, I can't even remember the Argentinian Argentinian race, which was the last wet race, I think.
1: Oh yeah,
3: Bizzetti. yeah, Bezecchi. Uh, I'm gonna go with Morbidelli on the podium.
1: Ooh, brave! I've,
3: well, I've heard maybe he's he's already. Sorted for next year. Maybe he will be a little bit stress free, or he's out of his Yamaha contract, so maybe he'll be a little bit happier and relaxed. So, yeah, if it's wet, Morbidelli, Bazecchi second, then Bastianini first.
1: Ooh, no, those are those. I like those. That's fun. Yeah,
3: I think Bastianini will win wet or dry he says he's 100 percent. i think i read on motorgp.com today so we'll see how he goes
0: sorry scott it sounds very far-fetched it sounds very much like a david emmett style of prediction really (laughs) so you could no no, no
1: this was a lot more accurate there's actually a chance of this happening
0: well, listen, we can't let you go without asking perhaps the most important question. Um, presumably, you watch all the sessions back afterwards, right? And the races and stuff. Um, you've never been intimidated by the big booming baritone on the, uh, the, the the World Feed commentary, have you? I mean, it hasn't sort of scared you or intimidated you.
3: <laughs> no, in fact, I, watch, I always watch the World Feed one, not the BT Sport. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> Sorry about that, Scott. gone.
0: <laughs> Well, listen, um, best of luck. It goes without saying, of course, but, you know, we will say it. uh, Home Grand Prix, second one. um, We'll all be crossing our fingers for you and hope uh, everything goes fantastic, whether it is wet or dry.
3: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks there to Scott Ogden for spending some time with us. It's the first time we've had him on the podcast, actually. And um, good guy. We're going to have to talk to him again. I, I really hope he doesn't become one of these sort of British guys who just drifts off into superbike again. You know, I think Sam Lowe's has been talking about it you know, he gave up a lot. He sacrificed a lot. Cal Kutchlow also talked about this in the past um, where, you know, riders really have to make a, a commitment to staying in Grand Prix. Bradley Smith, I think, was another rider that sort of made the right decisions or followed a, a slightly alternative pathway. So uh, fingers crossed things go well for Scott this weekend and, of course, um, in, in the coming seasons. But uh, talking to Silverstone guys as we he- head towards the end of this preview pod, um, first of all, just give us a, a personal memory. You know, we ask Scott the same question. Something for you, Dave, that really sticks out from this particular circuit. Uh, you know, let's try to forget about cancellations and um, abysmal <laughs> weather. Uh, maybe something else.
1: Oh, that, um, uh, yes, no, actually doing uh, doing pit lane and the year that it was cancelled, um was it was actually quite a fun memory just because it was such a bizarre weekend um and you know wandering around absolutely soaking where everyone looking at each other saying have you heard anything have you heard anything and nobody had any heard anything so yeah that was a that, that was a very that was a very odd weekend but Silverstone you know when it's sunny I mean you know look, last year was just a, a fantastic weekend in terms of weather when it's sunny it's such a fantastic racetrack that it provides just, you know, fantastic racing. Alex Rins on... Uh, who was it on... Fabio Mark Martin, Marquez. On Mark Marquez, yeah. Last corner, um, uh, taking it to the line. That was such a fantastic race. Um, it really does, you know, create some fantastic racing. And it, it, I think... It's such a shame that Silverstone is not in a bowl uh, or it it had some sort of hills around it uh, uh, actually overlooking the track because otherwise it would be absolutely spectacular because just in terms of track layout, it's one of the very best on the grid. It's one of my favourites.
2: Yeah, I would say one of my favourite memories of of being there was, I think it was the race in 2016, Mavericks' first win with the Suzuki. Um, And also that was a great race. I think that was... Cal Crutchlow finishing in second on that particular occasion. And his fight with uh, Marquez throughout that race was just exceptional. And Cal actually came out on top. And I think that's maybe, um, you know, one of Cal's best rides in MotoGP, if not, uh, his best one, just the way he went toe to toe with Marquez and came out on top. Um, and that was when I was there, I guess. Generally speaking, as well, I look back to that um, epic Lorenzo Marquez showdown in 2013 as just one of one of my favourite races. Um, a, a fight that was kind of, in some ways, it was the start of Lorenzo coming back um, at Marquez in the championship that season, um, and just showed that he was really going to dig in and, and take him take him on all the way. Um, and that great move, I think, coming into Woodcourt just. Um, What's the, the corner just before Woodcote? I need to go back to my track map and uh, remember. But um, the big long ride after Brooklands.
1: Oh, uh, after Brooklands, Luffield. Luffield, Luffield yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
2: Mark just left a little bit of a gap on the last lap through uh, through Luffield and uh, Lorenzo just got through. But yeah, that was a, a fabulous win. And um, yeah, I mean, there's plenty to choose from. You know, Silverstone is just one of those tracks which is fast flowing and has uh, you know it sets itself up for for some epic racing so um, yeah I hope the weather doesn't impinge on that this year.
0: Neil Crutchlow's podium finish was that the best result by a British rider in a premier class I want to say since Nal McKenzie took a podium finish in what 90 93?
2: Yeah well Mick Williams had a podium in 2000 at Donington Park uh, he was third um, so, yeah, last time a Brit finished second in the Premier Class at, at a British race. Goodness, that's, uh, that's a long time. Maybe you're going back to Sheen.
0: I don't think, yeah, Sheen never won his home GP, did he? No. Uh, he in second to Roberts, of course. And that's one of my main memories. I mean, I was too, too young to remember any of it, but I was reliably informed that I was at the 79 British Grand Prix. So that was quite a cool thing. I um, also remember Alan Carter falling off, I think, from... A podium finisher or a victory on the last lap of the wet—I want to say eighty-four, Five. perhaps eighty-five. That was one of the last. One of the last, I think eighty-six. It poured with rain as well because that was the last British Grand Prix at Silverstone before it bounced over to Donington Park. I think the first year they hosted it was eighty-seven. Although their memory getting hazy now, but um, yeah, I mean, my sort of formative years were spent going to Silverstone and spending hours getting out of a car park when it was uh, all flooded. So uh, the memories are mixed, but like you say, and I think like Scott said a couple of times, amazingly complex, fast, and just, you know, unfiltered circuit. I mean, it's morphed so much over the years. The original layout was quite spectacular, but uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, Silverstone does have its complications and it, you know, there is a certain lack of features, I guess you could say, compared to some of the other spectacular places we do go to, but um, I always enjoy going there. It's pretty special.
2: Sorry, uh, just a, a quick thing to amend. It was 86 when Carter crashed out um, and you left out the best bit of the story. Dexter Marshall that was trying to help him get back on the bike.
0: Yeah, that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was uh, on quite a few of those old VHS highlight reels, I think, for, for motorcycling and sports generally. So, uh, yeah, there you go um predictions guys you know the the MotoGP fantasy team or fantasy league I should say has been quiet for quite a few weeks now um we've got some changes to make for Silverstone I'm not too sure how what the budget allows me to move around in my particular team I think I ditched Mark Marquez for the last Grand Prix unsurprisingly Uh, I'm tempted to put him back in but who on earth knows with Honda these days uh any other kind of bold predictions I mean Scott Ogden tipping Bastianini was a bit of an eye-opener or an e-opener
1: Um, yeah, I think that is uh, certainly brave. Uh, the fact that it looks like it's going to be wet really is a bit of a uh, you know it's a complete wild card. Anything could happen. Marquez might not be a bad shout if it's going to rain on uh, on Saturday because he could, you know, we know that he's good in the rain and we know that it takes away the a lot of the problem from from the bike. So, uh, yeah, if it rains, then all of a sudden it gets a lot more Yeah, if you look back to, to the
2: previous wet race that we had, which was in um, Argentina, we had a Ducati, Whitewash, Bezecchi, Alex Marquez and, and Zarco were the top three. And you think um, back to last year's race, I mean, Zarco, it was probably his race to win, actually, and he crashed out down at uh, Vale quite early on. Um, one of those Zarco moments when, the result was there, but um, he kind of came up short. So maybe Zarko in the rain could be a, a decent shot at Silverstone. I also think Bezecchi, Alex Marquez, Banyaya would be the guys that you would think of. So, um, yeah, hard to look past someone in red.
1: Yeah, but also, like Maverick Vinales has been very, very strong at this track. You know, he has been exceptional. Um, he's been on the podium a, a, a number of times. I think he won here on the Suzuki in... 16 yeah exactly so uh, and the it should suit the aprilia as well so well let's see let's see who knows what it's going to be like when it's uh, when it's wet do you and not remember so, argentina yeah it's <laughs> I do remember Argentina where the, the Aprilia was not and they won the previous year so
0: that there um, was even more of a stark contrast yeah. so it could be a flag to flagger but bearing in mind everyone's referencing Argentina I think you can't rule out the KTMs I mean Jack Miller took his first MotoGP win at Assen, of course when it was soaking and Brad yep. Binder I mean that sprint victory in, in, in you know Termas was, was particularly impressive so uh, yeah is there anyone on the grid we haven't referenced yet <laughs> in our predictions
1: I don't think anyone has tempted uh, Takanakagami to win. but uh, Yes, you know, so rains, useful as knows? ever with our
0: um, expert opinions, guys. So apologies for that. You've been listening to the Paddock Pass podcast once again. Uh, thanks again to Rental Street for backing us. We'll be back with our Paddock Pass podcast note shows every day from Silverstone. So join us on Patreon. We'll be talking to you right from the circuit, right after the ride of the debriefs, when we found out some news, um, the latest gossip, where, whatever we can dig up. We will be talking about it, recording it, and putting it on Patreon. So uh, join us there for extra material right from the racetrack. Other than that, let us know what you think of the podcast or if you've got any questions at Paddock Pass Pod on Twitter or X, uh, whatever we're calling it these days.
1: We're calling it Twitter. Just like sprint races and Twitter. No, I'm not with you on the sprint race.
0: We've got to to at least keep (laughs) some sort of accuracy.
1: Other than
0: that, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week right after the British Grand Prix.